Dad. I've been at a sleepaway camp for almost three weeks. And I'm getting very scared. Welcome to sleepaway camp. Someone is watching you. Hey, Baba, revolve. Someone is waiting for you. Someone wants to scare you to death. Turn it! Turn the wheel! Oh my God! Sleep away, camp. You won't be coming home. Hello movie viewers and movie lovers, my name is Tim Williams and I'm your host for the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast, where we talk about all the great and sometimes not so great movies from the 1980s. From blockbusters to cult classics to lesser known treasures we discovered on cable TV or the now defunct video rental stores from our childhood. No matter what flick we choose from week to week, we'll have a lot of fun sharing memories, discussing our favorite scenes, and even learning some behind-the-scenes stories about the cast and crew along the way. So let's jump right into today's episode. Thanks for listening. For about 95% of its runtime, this 80s slasher flick operates as an oddly bloodless, weirdly sexless, and overall kind of annoying ripoff of Friday the 13th. Writer and director Robert Hitzuk mines little tension from his story of a youth summer camp besieged by a killer dumping boiling water on pervy camp cooks and stabbing counselors in the back, psycho-style. It's all very rote and by the bloody books until the film's final minutes when a last-second twist and some wonky special effects combine into the, one of the most disturbing images in horror movie history. So grab an extra flashlight and watch out for Night Snake as Charlie Cotter and I go to Camp Arawak to discuss all things Sleepaway Camp from 1983 on this episode of the 80s flick Flashback. All right, here we go. Welcome in, everybody. This is uh, going to be an interesting <laughs> episode. But please welcome my good friend Charlie Cotter, who's back on this episode, who's been wanting to do a horror movie since we first started talking about this podcast. And so he got his wish with this one. So I did, I did. Uh, I'm, I'm much more of a horror movie buff than you are. So uh, Very much so. Yeah, so this is uh, more so my bread and butter. So I'm uh, excited to talk about it, excited to dive in. Yeah, we'll see how deep the dive goes. <laughs> so how did you see Sleepaway Camp the first time? So the first time I watched the movie, start to finish, was not that long ago. Um, but the first time I really remember anything about the movie um, was several years ago. I remember just the iconic face mm-hmm. at the very end. Because um, when I was younger... It was kind of like the scream, uh, the ghost face right, mask. Right, right. Um, it terrified me. Yeah. Um, and For good reason. <laughs> yeah, and, and it was it was very strange because it's just, you know, a, a, a normal face. It, mm-hmm. There's nothing distorted really about it. Right, um, right. So I remember that face from a long time ago, but I never knew what it was from or anything. Mm-hmm. And then the first time I really heard about the movie um, was about two years ago. Um there was a YouTube video, YouTube channel that I watched where they 
talked about it and the the whole thing was that he like counted up the kills and mm-hmm. you know how each person died so he went through a summary of this is how the movie happens and this is when all these people die mm-hmm. and um so it was very interesting so i had the endings spoiled to me i guess <laughs> before actually watching it right um but when i watched that youtube video it was basically like watching the spark notes for gotcha the movie okay yeah, well, this is my first time watching it, so I don't have any kind of backstory on it. But we'll talk. I'll I'll talk a little bit more. But so, when so had you seen it again since before watching it for the podcast, or had you only seen it the one time? No, so I, I've only watched it start to finish that one time. Okay, um, but I did watch that recap video. I've okay. watched that a couple times, um, just to for entertainment value, for <laughs> shock value. Right, right. Um, so. Start start to finish only once, but okay. I've I know the story pretty um, well. Yeah, gotcha. Okay, yeah, I I knew nothing of this movie. Like this is mm-hmm. this is all new to me. And there's a podcast that I listen to, and it's not family friendly, so I'm not endorsing it. But it's uh it's basically a, a podcast about movies that are like bad movies that people are are they really bad or are they so bad they're good kind of movies. Right, right. And this is one of the first movies they did, and it kind of helped kind of launch it back into the mm-hmm. into into the talk or whatever. And so I heard it. I didn't know anything about it. It's like it sounds like Friday the Thirteenth to me. So right. it's probably just a bad ripoff. Right. And so then, in some conversation with some other friends of ours that are big into horror movies, my wife mentioned that she had seen it as a teenager. And I was like, Oh, well, she's seen it. And when she's she was more into horror stuff earlier too. So, and I was like, Then think think of eighties movies. I was like, We've kind of done some more of the mainstream. We've done Friday the Thirteenth. We've done Halloween too. I was like, let's do some of the more of the cult classic. And so I just threw this on the list. And, of course, Charlie was quick to snatch it up and say, <laughs> I want to do that episode. So uh, me watching it this week was the very first time. I, I had never seen a trailer for it. I knew nothing about it besides seeing the poster. So, yeah, uh, spoiler alert, because if you've never seen it, you do not want to listen to this episode. <laughs> you need to – you. I shouldn't say you need to watch it. If you want to watch it, I would encourage you to watch it. And then come back and listen to the episode, and we'll talk about it. But there's really not a whole lot to really discuss besides the ending. But we're gonna—I'm gonna I'm try to save the ending for the end of the podcast or close to the end. So, you ready to jump in? I'm ready. All right. Story origin and pre-production is very short because <laughs> there really wasn't much. <laughs> I like I told Charlie before we started. Normally, I have like eight or nine pages of notes. I barely have four, so there'll be a lot of. I'll let Charlie fill in a lot of blanks. Maybe he's—he's he's got from the YouTube videos that I didn't sit down and watch. Once I saw it, I was like. I don't really want to watch any more videos about it. So. <laughs> so in 1983, a New York University film school graduate student named Robert Hiltzik decided the best way for him to get into the movie business was to write, produce, and direct his own feature film. That movie is this, Sleepaway Camp, which was an unassuming yet distinctive slasher tale set at Camp Arrowick, which was a camp. The camp they used was the camp that he actually went to as a kid. Uh, a little bit more detail I didn't write down, but like basically he was is a three-year program in the in the school. He was at the beginning of the third year, and he was like, "I'm about to graduate. I'm really bored with with the classes I'm taking. I really just want to put something together." So he picked a horror genre, even though he's not a big horror fan. Mm. Um, but then he picked the camp setting because he had gone to camp as a kid, and he knew that'd be a cheap, you know, kind of a one location shoot. You're not doing multiple locations; it's cheaper to do. And so in writing the story. He said, "Really, he he had the end already as the as the beginning idea, and then retroed back to the beginning. So he wrote the opening scene in the lake, the end scene first, and then just tried to fill everything else in the middle, 
which is why the middle is the weakest part <laughs> of the movie. Yeah. So that's a very. Uh, I guess you kind of have to do that. Yeah. Um, almost, you know, write the movie backwards. But that's a very strange idea to have to yeah. then say, let's write a full length film about this one idea. Yeah. Um, I do love this summer camp. Uh, type like you said yeah. in the opening, you know, it's a rip off Friday the Thirteenth, mm-hmm. um, and that's that, that's such a good scenario. That's such a good setting for horror movies. Oh yeah, yeah. Especially because even though these are rated R, they're almost for kids Teen- yeah, in teenager, a way. Yeah. So that's that's a, a great setting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've always liked the summer camp vibe yeah like i said I, I didn't go to summer camp as a kid so that wasn't something that i did but i i didn't really get into the like my horror movie time frame was really in the middle school mm. and by that point it was all like you know friday the 13th was like part seven or eight by that right, point right. but nightmare on elm street with all their sequels were pretty popular then mm. so they'd been out for a couple of years but they were all on video so i would just go to the different there we had a library that you could check out movies and so if i found a different friday the 13th or, or different uh nightmare on elm street that was typically the one that I would watch. And then I remember, and I've talked about this in the previous podcast about Friday the 13th. I think I saw like the third one first. Mm. Um, and it was at a friend, like a sleepover or whatever. He was like, you know, you got to watch this horror movie. Jason movies are so cool and scary. Yeah. And, you know, not being a camp kid, it wasn't that scary of thinking about camp. Right. But it was still, you know, as a, as a preteen or a teen, uh, yeah, preteen or young teenager, you still didn't want to go to sleep at night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, and um, that's the other thing I really like about this movie is um, it's it feels, while you're watching it, it feels like a real summer camp. It yeah. It feels like if you were to go to summer camp, that's exactly what would happen. Well, yeah. You have, you know, the rivalry between the younger mm-hmm. campers and the older. You have the just plethora of boys surrounding <laughs> the girls. Right, right. Um, so it, it's, you know, it's like a rated R camp, yeah. but it's very, very accurate, I would yeah. say, to my experiences in camp. Yeah. Um, which which makes it feel more realistic. You don't have some, you know, big unkillable monster after you. Right, There's right. a real setting and a real mm-hmm. place with a real killer with a real just it, yeah. it feels real yeah even though this the, this one kind of gets put in that slasher genre mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like a slasher film especially by, by the end because it's more of a psychological thriller because right. like you said it's not a monster that can't be killed it's not someone that's invading your dreams like those type of movies especially that were popular then like mm-hmm. it wasn't a michael myers it wasn't a texas chainsaw massacre it wasn't you know, Friday the 13th, uh, or it was at Freddy Krueger, but of course, and it's all also a mystery because you don't know right. until the end, you mm-hmm. know, who's doing the killings. But like you said, with uh, two things about what you said, one thing about why my feels realistic, I think is, which I thought was smart and, and something I hadn't seen before was like, they hired teenagers. It wasn't 20 or 20, you know, 25 yeah. year olds oh, yeah. pretending to be, te- be teenagers. I mean, from the beginning, I'm like, they've got real kids in this mm-hmm. movie. And I'm like, they're not going to show things that I normally see right. in a in a horror movie with right. the, from these kids, right? And of course they didn't. Well, kind of didn't. But anyway, we'll get there. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, so that was one. You know, like I said, gives it a more of a realistic feel. Feel. And then two, because it's the younger kids, that after school special feel as well, where it's mm-hmm. like, uh, like I said, there's real. It has some real issues in right. the camp. It's not. There is this horror element in the background, but most of the story is really just how they're treating each other and the right. divisiveness between the, uh, you know, the girls that's, you know, the one girl that's more developed and how they treat the girl that's, you know, 
quote unquote girl that's not developed. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, spoilers. <laughs> uh, you know, not developed, and then the boys' rivalry of you know who they like, you know, all that kind of stuff, which I thought was not something you typically see. Well, I thought I have a lot of experience, but you typically see in those type in a horror mm-hmm. movies. And then I think I read something too, and you can back me up on this is where the other movies. The attacks are more against the counselors. It's all the murder like of, of the adults, which it kind of starts off that way. But then as it keeps going, it's not just the adults that are getting murdered; it's the kids too. So oh, yeah. that was a, a different a different spin on it. Oh yeah, so. it was good because that's you know when you do go to summer camp, you know if you hopefully you don't have any enemies. But when you think about <laughs> your enemies at camp, yeah, it's not really the counselors. Yeah, it's the other people. Of the kids. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's very. Um, Eye-opening, but mm-hmm. very good to have, you know, quote unquote, good <laughs> yeah. to have the kids that are the targets of mm-hmm. these attacks. Yeah. All right. Well, let's jump a little bit into casting, which this will be really short because there's really no actors or actresses that we would really know by name on this one. But we'll talk about some of the little casting things I found. So the main character is Angela, played by Felissa Rose. Um, and she really hasn't done anything. I mean, just kind of looking at her credits, she's done other kind of B-movie mm-hmm. horror kind of stuff. So, right. But uh, I thought it was interesting that for, for their casting, the role of Angela, uh, writer-director Robert Hiltzik would have the actresses stare wide-eyed and straight ahead while also pretending to eat a candy bar. And I will say, she had the most, you know, intense staring look she did. than anybody, than oh, anybody she did. else. So, I mean... Uh, Plus that that was that was her character arc yeah. for the first oh yeah because she didn't she didn't talk at all was just yeah. stare into the camera right or stare at people when they're talking to you yeah. and just that the the wide eyed stare so right. that was pretty crazy so then you got Jonathan Tiersten was given the role of Angela's cousin Ricky uh, after an unusual audition in which the writer director Robert Hiltzik asked Jonathan to just cuss him out so I guess that was like you know go for it <laughs> yeah that, that was that was part of the YouTube video that I watched oh, okay. was uh, his audition that oh, yeah. got him the role yeah. was uh, just exactly that the director yeah. was like I want you to just yell and scream mm-hmm. and just uh, you know go on this uh, rampage he called it a uh, Ricky rage uh, <laughs> so just yell and scream and you know yeah. if I like it then you get the job yeah that's interesting so then uh, Karen Fields as Judy um, who was kind of one of the main antagonists to Angela <laughs> So I thought it was interesting. Jane Gronkowski, who you know from, she was early in the first Vacation movie as far as 80s movies, but mm-hmm. we know her more now, more now from, she was in 30 Rock. Uh, mm-hmm. the, uh, I know her mainly from 30 Rock, but she's done, she's on now on the Name That Tune show that's on Fox. Okay. So anyway, she's she's been around, but she was originally cast to play Judy, but she turned the role down because she felt that Judy's death scene was too disturbing. Well, She must have been right because the shot... A shot of dead Judy was actually cut by the MPAA for being too "quote unquote" grisly. So, I believe it. Yeah, <laughs> that was. Uh, yeah, that was one of those that. Wow. Yeah, yeah, and I'm still not really sure what happened there. I mean, yeah. you have there's it's not for good reason. It's not clear what what happens. Yeah, but there's a uh, interview with uh, Felissa Rose who. Okay. Um, is Angela mm-hmm. um, on the like the Blu-ray director's cut? Yeah, and yeah, it's, yeah. It, and she says that it is exactly what you think happened. Okay, um, but yeah, not not good. Yeah, <laughs> not not a not the best way to yeah, go. Yeah, so moving right along, uh, Christopher Collette as Paul, Angela's I guess you could call him love interest, 
and final victim. And once again, he didn't really do anything. None of these have done really much of anything. The only kind of known actor of the cast was Mike Kellen, who played Mel, the camp owner. He had been a steady TV actor in the 70s and had previously been seen in the films like Midnight Express and The Jazz Singer. He was actually diagnosed with lung cancer before taking the role and kept his illness a secret during filming, but he passed away three months before the role was released. I mean, before the movie was released. So, um, which his character was pretty awful. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're all pretty awful. Yeah. Um, the one I didn't put on here and I meant to was Aunt Thelma. Was that, was, was her name? Uh, Aunt Martha. Aunt Martha. Yeah. Uh, which was disturbing enough. Like she that was, scene enough was, was, was kind of, was kind of, was kind of creepy. Oh. And, uh, and then of course they bring her back at the end for a little flashback scene or whatever. But I was honestly like the first, in, in the first scene, and I know we're kind of getting to that spoiler ending, but if you, if you've gotten this far, you've seen the movie already, so we can just talk about it. So in the first scene with her, it was odd it, and she's odd anyway. It, it seems like she had, and the, in my profession, we we deal with schizophrenic people mm-hmm. a pretty good bit, mm-hmm. and that was exactly what it seemed like. Mm-hmm. She would say something that was important to the story, right. and then immediately like, oh no, they wouldn't like that at all. <laughs> and it was just like, that was very yeah. personality shifting. Gotcha. Um, but if that's what they were aiming for or not, it was very creepy, like you said. Very... Yeah. Very disturbing because mm-hmm. I guess we, we didn't get to spend too much time with her at the beginning. Right, right. So we didn't really get to, there weren't any red flags, I guess, yeah, to where yeah. we could say, whoa, something's wrong with her. Yeah. So maybe something's wrong with, you know, Ricky, right, her kid. Right. She just seemed like an odd parent, parental yeah. figure, which, and this, you know, at the beginning of this type of movie, you're kind of expecting there to be some weird adult figure anyway. And oh, so. Yeah. Which, once again, could be that red herring. Is like, is she the one, you know, you're going back to the, the Friday the 13th twist. Is like, okay, is this the killer that's mm-hmm. followed them to camp and right. is, you know, killing people that's, that's harassing her. Just an overprotective her, mother. Right, exactly. So I thought it was a good red herring. But then during the flashback scene, after you've seen the other flashback scene of, I guess, the dad with the partner and all that kind of stuff... Uh, then I was like, wait a minute, is the is that a man dressed as a woman? Like I just the more I as like I was stuck like looking at the face a little too hard. I was like, you know, they're soft features, but it still was like, but that voice is definitely female. Right. So I, I was I the only one? <laughs> uh, yeah, and yeah, I, I never really thought that. Yeah. Um, but unsettling. I guess is yeah. the, the best word that I can yeah, think yeah, of, yeah. and that's that's what she was the entire time. Oh yeah, yeah. So, I guess seeing her again for that the the very last flashback, mm-hmm. um, especially after all these murders, you know, you're thinking, yeah, yeah. okay, something <laughs> something's wrong, right? Um, right. so yeah, that that doesn't surprise me at all that that was. You would look at it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And once again, that's looking at it with 2021 eyes as aside from a 1984, 83 eyes. Right. You know, we've seen we've seen those type of characters in other horror movies. So that mm-hmm. uh, it just it's probably why my brain was like, maybe that's the maybe that's that twist right. that they're talking about or whatever. So. Yeah. And going back to the cast, uh, someone that I mean, he's in the movie for maybe two minutes but um ben uh the other the secondary cook oh yeah yeah is actually robert earl jones james earl jones's father 
Really? Yeah. Okay. So there's there's one. I mean, whenever he talks, yeah, yeah. he sounds just like him. But yeah, there's yeah. that one scene when he and Artie, the uh, other cook, right, um, are talking, um, and he he sounds exactly like I did. I did like he stood out to me, mm-hmm. and you only see him at the beginning. He never right. comes back in at the end, so yeah. he almost becomes a forgettable character. When you said that, I was like, I kept thinking, I was like, he he has a very distinguishable voice, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't have thought that they were related. Right. But, that, but now when you said his name, I was like, oh, that would make sense. Mm-hmm. So wow, that's. That's pretty good. Yeah. So. so he's he's barely in it, but yeah. it's it's still a cool little side note. Oh yeah, and I'm really surprised I didn't see that anywhere in the trivia that I was looking at. So, but hmm. but cool. What's up, dudes? I'm Jerry D of Totally Rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the '80s: toys, movies, specials, music, books, fashion, and fads. If it was gnarly during Christmas in the '80s, he's got it covered. Wait, is there a lot of things to talk about for the 80s and Christmas? Well, you got the movie giants like Christmas Vacation, Scrooge, and A Christmas Story. There are TV specials like Muppet Family Christmas, Claymation Christmas Celebration, and a Garfield Christmas Special. Plus classics shown every year. You also jam out to Last Christmas, Do They Know It's Christmas, and Christmas in Hollis. But most of all, it was a time for the most bodacious, best-selling Christmas toys ever, like He-Man, G.I. Joe, Transformers, and Cabbage Patch Kids. Yes, them too. We cover them all, plus much more, including standard segments like Hap Hap Happiest Memory, Gagney with the Spoon, The Other Half of the Battle, and Chant with the Littles. So tune in to Totally Rad Christmas everywhere you get your podcasts. Turn the clock back and dive into those warm and fuzzy memories. Later, dudes! This is a weird one. Do you have any favorite scenes in this movie? <laughs> um, or, or any, uh, besides the ending, any iconic scenes that you, you would think... Yeah, actually, um, the the baseball scene yeah. when they're playing baseball—that's probably the best scene, and mm-hmm. that's probably um, again, it's it's realistic, but mm-hmm. like a like a rated R realistic. You know, yeah. when I was at summer camp, we weren't you know cussing and cursing at each other <laughs> that much or at all, right? But. So there's that's a little you know exaggerated, mm-hmm. but that's exactly what we would do. We would you know you know make fun of each other, especially mm-hmm. when we were the older kids. We were like, oh you, you know everybody scoot up, you know they can't hit or oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever. So that that felt very um, good, and it was a long baseball scene. So it was yeah. it was. I a think that just chunk. yeah, I think that was just trying to show you that um, you know some of the older campers are just you know minor characters that you're not going to think of, and some of them are mean jerks mm-hmm. that you know in the someone's eyes might deserve to die mm-hmm. um going back to the thing about him writing the ending and the beginning first somebody said one of the there was an interview i read a couple of interviews and one of them said that the baseball scene was the third part that he wrote oh. and that's why it was so long because mm-hmm. he just he i guess he was trying to fill he kind of made that as like a big filler part and they said it took like three or four days to film it. Like oh, it was wow. such a, it was like the longest part of the shoot. Oh yeah, was that scene because it was so much. You know, it was a longer piece. Yeah. So uh, I will also say that in that, uh, in the baseball scene is probably one of my favorite insults. Um, it's <laughs> incredibly profane. So right. I, I can't, I can't say it, but uh, it's, it's very good. So yeah. Again, if you do watch it, yeah. just, uh, just listen out for it. <laughs> I bet I know which one it is. Too. <laughs> Because it was one, of, it was one of the few lines that I actually kind of laughed and chuckled. Yeah. I was like, okay, <laughs> yeah. that was. Yeah. I was like, I'm, and that's when like, was that ad libbed or was that <laughs> right. was that written in the in the script? Right. So. I hope it was ad libbed. Yeah. But also hope it wasn't because <laughs> yeah. that's a, a 16, 17 year old kid. So. <laughs>
But uh, yeah, that was funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I don't have any favorite scenes. Uh, <laughs> there, you know, it was this was this was a this was a painful watch mm. to get through. I mean, the um, I, I will talk. The, the opening scene was it, it grabbed my attention in the beginning. You know, the the boating scene of the teenagers in the boat, and it's like you know something bad's going to happen, and then you see the kids with the dad, and you know, of course, as it as he's trying to build that tension at the end, it's like. You've got plenty of time to swim out of the way. Like, why are you stuck in one spot? Yeah. And then why can't they slow the boat down? And they're so close to just, the just right turn. <laughs> and they're so close to the uh, shore. They're so close to the shore that it's like you you, you, you shouldn't be going right. that way. Anyway. Well, I would think that the boat would actually hit something before it got that close to him. But once right. again, it's you know you have to you can't it's, have any yeah. kind of logic when you're watching these type of movies. Right. So, but then uh, and what I did like about it, and once again, probably because it's eighty three. It didn't seem, in really any of the murder scenes, nothing was overly grotesque. Like it wasn't, right. you know. And of course, you know, we've come a long way with like Saw movies that are, you know, more, you know, gore. It really wasn't a very gory movie, which once again I think gives it that kind of after-school special feel with a couple of murders <laughs> thrown in. Is what right. I call it. But nothing is, and even even some of the some of the scenes where you see the bodies, it's it's pretty pretty good uh effects you mm-hmm. know and and uh practical effects where it's not cgi and stuff so oh, yeah um yeah so i kind of you know i'm guessing i like the opening scene i thought it could have been executed a little bit better but knowing this is his first movie he was in his third year of you know film school it's not bad you know yeah. so he left a legacy so but so scene, some of the scenes in trivia we have, only have a few of these. So uh, Willie Cuskin, who played the camper Mozart, which I, I thought that was a interesting name to have one of your campers, uh, he was actually genuinely bullied during the filming. Frank Trent Saladon, Saladino, who played a camp counselor, had to step in when the other members took things too far. And I was like, well, that's pretty... Wow, pretty bad. Yeah, and he was, he was really the only one, other than Ricky, he was really the only one bullied yeah. in the movie. So that's... Uh, Sad. Yeah. So, but then you know, you're once again kind of gives that that natural feel of being at camp. I'm sure they felt like they were at camp, being real kids, not oh, yeah. adult actors playing kids. So, uh, for Artie's severe burn sequence, the actor was propped up on a fake floor, and underneath, liquid gelatin was pumped through the blisters, giving the impression that they're pulsating, which I thought was once again a good practical effect. Mm-hmm. That, and once again, that's another kind of it's one of the first. I guess it was the first kind of murder scene. In the movie, right? Uh, yeah, he's the he's the well. I don't think he, I don't think he technically died. He's right, technically, yeah. But that's the first victim. Victim, I guess. yeah. And even it was a little kind of you're really the boiling. Wa- I'm thinking boiling water. That's going to be what gets him. And yeah, it's once again it's it somewhat smart in how it's shot because you're not seeing the whole. You're there's never a good wide shot to really see it mm-hmm. in your mind. You're kind of piecing it together like. He could really probably step down and be okay. Yeah. But the way they shot it made it look like he. There's really no other way for him to get down. And if she yeah. pulls this, or if whoever pulls this chair, it was it, that was very strange. Yeah. But I think it's more of just like you said with the opening scene. You kind of just have to go with it. Yeah. It was. It looked like he could easily just step to the side. Yeah. You know, step down from the chair he was standing on. Yeah. But, one. Yeah. One thing I looked at it. I don't know if it was filmed in order, but it seemed like each murder got better in the sense of execution wise like you know once again the first one at the boat was really you know you could see the the, the holes in that plot logic right and then with the boiling water it was like eh, it's still a little iffy but then 
and maybe the bees the bee scene was a little yeah was that, a little that one was too. Uh, yeah that one that's probably my <laughs> least favorite of the kills because yeah. it's just first of all I don't think that would kill you no I guess he's and, oh when I was thinking I was like did he ever mention he had like some kind of allergy no, uh, allergic no. reaction to bees no. I was like maybe I missed a lot of dialogue there but no and then he could have you know he's he's trapped in a, a bathroom stall during mm-hmm. this so he easily could have crawled out from under it right, there was right. clearly it, the camera shows there's clearly <laughs> about a, a foot of right. space you know foot plus yeah so uh yeah that one was a little iffy but um yeah they i i, I agree i think they did start to get a little a little better and mm-hmm. a little more i guess a little more grotesque but also mm-hmm. a little more um ruthless mm-hmm. and Maybe believable. Yeah. Um, I was gonna say realistic. Not that you wanted to be very realistic, but I, but more like more practical or more right. what could really possibly really happen. So. Right. So Felissa Rose, who played Angela, Karen Fields, who played Judy, and Catherine Kamey, who played Meg, were actually all quite close during filming. That became good friends. Uh, Catherine said the scene where they throw Angela in the water was hard for her to shoot for that very reason. So I thought that was kind of a nice sweet moment. Yeah, I heard I heard the same thing. Is that um. Karen or Judy um, mm. was one of the nicest people on set. Oh, yeah. But she's playing the oh, yeah. the overly dramatic jerk. Um, mm-hmm. So she said she loved playing that because she's not normally right. like that. So she could just kind of be as mean as she wanted to be because mm-hmm. it, in the end it didn't matter. So. Yeah. yeah, that's usually the case. Usually the people that play the meanest people are usually the nicest people. Oh, but yeah. they enjoy playing the mean person because you get to be someone totally different than yourself. Yep. So. Oh, yeah. Uh, one of my favorite, I, when I saw this, I was like, this is awesome. Because as I was watching, I was like, I, yeah. I kept, you know, this, knew what's coming, right? Yeah. The police officer entering the rec hall at the end of the film wears a fake mustache, which was so obvious. It was so bad. The reason being, he had shaved off his actual mustache during filming and didn't have time to grow it back for the final scenes. Oh, my goodness. And, was... and, and the quality, like the version that I watched was not very good quality. So it wasn't like super HD. So it was almost like watching it on old VHS. Right. So it was real fuzzy. So even that scene, I was like, I was like, is that a piece of paper? Like, is it really that bad? I mean, it, it, it looks so flat. It was bad. Yeah. It was, it was very <laughs> two dimensional. It wasn't even the right color. Yeah, it was dark. It was... <laughs> it was like straight black. And you see the rest of his hair was like a dark brown. Right. Oh, and then man. you saw his mustache, his real mustache, you know. 35 minutes before yeah. that oh, yeah, and yeah. it's very clearly a lightish brown and yeah. now it's almost black yeah. and it's and, just and oh. honestly for a second i was like wait a minute did they get a different actor yeah. and just put a mustache to try to make you think it's the same guy like i really you yeah. know yeah it was it was not good <laughs> one one scene that i thought was funny and um it was right it, it's right before judy's death mm. um when the when she's in her cabin all by herself and the door opens up and it's supposed to be Angela. Yes, yes. It's, you said you didn't watch it on a great quality, mm-hmm. um, which I, it, I don't think it was ever meant to be watched in great quality. <laughs> right. But it does have good quality sometimes and you can very clearly see that that silhouette, on, depending on the quality, mm-hmm. that it's Ricky right. with, wearing a wig. Mm-hmm. And so it's just... It's just funny because if, if you ever did see that and you ever did, mm-hmm. you know, if if I was watching the movie and I didn't know who was the killer at right, all, right. then I would I would instantly think and know that mm-hmm. it was Ricky because that's very clearly Ricky mm-hmm. that you can see. Um, so it was a little, uh, a little goof there yeah. that they 
why not get the why not get Angela in the first place? Yeah. All right. So we we're gonna we pretty much spoiled the ending now that we know Angela is the killer. So if you guys made it this far, you've seen the movie. So yeah, I, and and even in my quality when I saw that, I was like, that's clearly a boy. Like I, I mean, I couldn't I couldn't quite tell if it was Ricky or not, but I could tell it wasn't Angela. Right. And so. Um, but they did say that Angela, uh, Felissa Rose's mother did not want her to, she felt she was too young to do any of the murder scenes. So right. They actually used Ricky's hands mm. for all the scenes of the first person, you know, angle shots. So those were all Ricky's hands for all the murder scenes. And then they did the same thing on that. They put Ricky in a, in a wig. But there's some people, there's some theories that say that they think that Ricky was actually like an accomplice for her because there's certain, and which I, I was kind of trying to piece that together at one point too, is like, Okay, you just murdered all the kids by the campsite. And granted, I don't know the spanse of the camp either. Yeah, right. they're never, they're never, you never really have great dimensions, but most camps right. are pretty spread out, especially yeah, yeah. between boys' cabins and girls' cabins and all that kind of stuff. So um, so it would make sense that she would have an accomplice. Yeah. And so then he was like, oh, I was in my bed. I, you know, I got sick from dinner. I just wanted to come and get a snack. But it's like... But clearly, someone's just been murdered, and right. you don't really know where you, you know where Angela is. So it's like that would so it somewhat makes sense that if that was Ricky in a wig, that he was playing the accomplice right. in that in that scene. Yeah, and like you said, uh, one of the right in the middle, um, you kind of said this: the uh, some little little kids go camping, mm-hmm. um, and four of them end up getting killed. Um, but if you if those four kids are supposed to be the kids that were throwing sand at Angela oh, okay. when she was thrown into the water, mm-hmm. um, but if you look, Ricky is the one who gets mad at them, and mm-hmm. Ricky is the one who you know shoes them away. Angela never even really pays any attention to them, right? So it's kind of like why or how would she know that those were the specific ones, right? Um, or maybe she didn't. Maybe they were just there. So yeah. hey, yeah. Free kills. Because, I mean, you, you got to think about it, too. You know, p- putting some logic to the movie. Now, now you know, talk about the, the flashback scene where we now know that Angela, uh, or the Aunt Martha has created Angela from, what's the boy's Peter. name? Peter. Peter, yeah. So it's really Peter that survives the, the boating accident at the beginning. Mm-hmm. But she wants to make him into Angela. And so, but Ricky being the same age... He's obviously, I mean, he, he was there when uh, Peter came home, right. so he obviously knows the real deal. That that was very... It's not clear in the movie, right. but if you're using logic... It, it, think... was, it was confusing because it, one of the things Aunt Martha says is, is that, you know, they already have a boy, so another right. boy just won't do. Right. So that's when she makes Peter mm-hmm. the new, the fake Angela. Mm-hmm. And it just makes you wonder. The whole movie, Ricky's been very protective over Angela, so it makes you think that Ricky does know mm-hmm. that that's not really Angela, right? But it's also just a very weird thing for you know a a kid to. I mean, I guess you know maybe. I mean, his mom's crazy and Martha's crazy, so maybe <laughs> yeah. Ricky's just yeah. as crazy. Right, right. But it's just a, it's a weird situation that now having to like explain this to a kid, like, hey, this was your uh, boy, boy cousin, cousin, right? But now we're gonna make your her him your girl cousin. <laughs> so now, even though Angela, the real Angela, died, mm-hmm. this is the new Angela. Mm-hmm. So you don't call him Peter; you call him Angela. Right. And it, it's just. 
the whole movie is weird. Yeah. But that's, and I don't think we're supposed to dive this deep into it. Probably not. But but logically, it, it doesn't it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So part of me thinks that Ricky did know because he's mm-hmm. very protective. But the other part of me thinks that Ricky that Aunt Martha lied to Ricky mm-hmm. and that he truthfully believes that that is Angela. Yeah. I because guess. it's one of it's because if Aunt Martha wanted that to be real Angela. Um, then if he if Ricky finds out, then Ricky's just a loose end. Ricky could spill the beans to someone. Yeah. Um, so very strange. Not really <laughs> sure what to do with it, but I guess it makes sense both ways. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's it's a fan theory, which mm-hmm. a lot of movies have that. So it's in and I've I've never seen. Oh, I'll say never in the research that I did, which was not super extensive because there really wasn't a whole lot out there. There's no one has commented on one way that that was just something I'd seen that there were there were fan theories about that. So, right. all right, well let's let's somewhat talk about that ending because uh, we have to because we did this movie you can't not. So let's get into it. Yeah. So. Uh, the terror of Sleepaway Camp's ending comes completely down to the image itself, which horrendously combines Lynchian uncanny valley with the human brain's ability to just know when something isn't right, even if it can't specifically put, be put together why. It's not even clear if the effect is intentional or just a result of 1980s filmmaking technology. To pull off the twist, Tiltzik superimposed an unmoving image of young Felicia Rose's face, frozen in a rictus somewhere between horror and joy, on a decidedly non-childlike muscular male body, resulting in something undeniably not human-looking. It's like the most messed-up optical illusion you'll ever see, the visual cues of what makes a person a person all wrong in unexplainable ways, an action figure put together by a child with only a basic understanding of the human anatomy. And I'm reading this from an article. I didn't come up with this, so <laughs> just just so you know, don't quote me on this because it wasn't my, my words, but I thought it was an interesting way of putting it together. Mm-hmm. What makes the end shot of Sleepaway Camp so jarring is that it's wrong. That's not what a human being looks like, male or female. And those noises coming from Angela's unmoving mouth, those are not human noises, which was also terrifying. Oh, yeah. And by ending on such a striking note of indescribable, of indescribable wrongness, Hildzik paints the comparatively boring 90 minutes that are preceding it in a different light. Is there something we missed about Angela's entire time other than the fact that she's a boy? Something that would explain why, without clothes, she's something closer to a wood beast from Lovecraft's worst fever dream than she is to being a human being? I don't know. It's still <laughs> freaky no matter what. But yeah, and there's some say that if you have it, going back to your good quality, uh, in the scene where you can see her stroking, where it's the back of Angela and she's stroking the uh, uh, Mike's... Paul. Paul. I got all the names wrong. <laughs> uh, where she's stroking Paul's severed head, we find out. Uh, but it, you, off in the distance, you can see someone moving. And they said oh. that's actually the guy that was the body, the lower half of the body in the final shot, was getting was preparing for the scene. Oh. So, oh. yeah. I didn't uh, I didn't see that. Yeah, I didn't see it either. But I, it popped up on a few different things I looked at. And then they actually talked about the guy that did that had to get drunk before he filmed that scene. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I felt really bad because uh, in that the Blu-ray type interview I watched yeah. um, they said that um, just that he got he got super drunk mm-hmm. um, and then right before they started filming the scene he started crying oh I believe it because uh, he didn't want to do it uh, but yeah. he was contractually obligated. obligated it was it was the 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 kicker of the whole the yeah. whole movie so it was kind of like he felt like he had to do it mm-hmm. if he didn't do it this whole movie was ruined or whatever yeah um, so yeah 
And there's several pictures I saw where you can see the it was a mask that they put over him. Uh, and so, and she talked about one of the interviews I saw with her, and they said, was that, you know, did she come up with the face or was it the director? And she said it was kind of a combination. They had to do a mold of her face. So they did several different ones and trying to get it, you know, exactly the look they wanted. And they picked the right one for his yeah, to it is to um, very, it's a very striking image. And even, I, I would have hated doing the research. Every article I pulled up had the pictures and it had that same picture <laughs> every time. And it's like, I really don't want to see that face anymore yeah. in my oh, life. Yeah. So it's a very, it's, it's weird because there's, there's nothing wrong with it. It's right. just a regular face. Yeah. But there's also just something about it that mm-hmm. is just so jarring. Yeah. That is just so different. Right. It's, it's, it's impossible to explain. Yeah. Um, if you've seen it, you know. Right. <laughs> yes, yeah. absolutely. And then how it pans, you know, it starts with that close up shot and then just right. pans back. And I remember kind of watching, I was like, oh no. No, 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 that's not what I wanted to see at all, you know, right. and so it's just, yeah. it's, it's and, and then when it was, and then it kind of ends right, you know, oh my God, she's a boy, and then that, the movie kind of ends, I'm just like, really, you're just going to leave me right there, like, and, but once again, you want that shock ending, like oh, yeah. all those horror movies had at the end of their movies. Oh, yeah. Uh, so it, it, it definitely, you know, it, it starts well, it, it muddles, yeah. <laughs> muddles in the middle a lot. Uh, but the payoff, the payoff was there at the end oh, for yeah. for having giving a shock ending. So, oh yeah. Comic books have been around for almost a century, and in the last two decades, we've finally gotten to see many of these characters brought to life in movies and on TV. On the Moving Panels podcast, we discuss movies and TV shows based on, inspired by, and adapted from the world of comic books. Join me and my guests as we discuss both the good and the bad from Marvel, DC, and even some of the lesser-known comic book companies. Learn what is and isn't from the comics, as well as our nerdy review of the movie or show. New episodes drop every Monday, and you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. So join us for Moving Panels, and I'll see you on the other side of the page. Alright, anything else you want to talk about before we get into the box office and critical reception? I know you said you had some notes of stuff, or did we cover it all? Um, yeah, we talked about most of it. Um, the only thing I thought was cool was... Um, when another spoiler alert, I guess uh, when the owner of the camp uh, Mel, Mel oh, yeah, gets yeah. gets killed, mm-hmm. um, he gets shot through the neck with an arrow. Yes, yeah. and I just saw that uh, the way they did that was it was attached to a string, and so when uh, the arrow goes and like attaches to his neck, mm-hmm. the 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 back half because you can see the tip of the arrow past his shoulder on mm-hmm. the other side and it was just laying flat on his back mm-hmm. and then when it came through it just popped up real quick. Oh, okay. And it was a cool practical, practical effect, effect right. that they could, you know, realistically achieve mm-hmm. so that it's not, you know, your terrible 80s CGI or yeah, yeah. Um, clearly or a or like a hitting a, a dummy or yeah, you know yeah. So that so yeah, that makes sense. And I did not like once again, poor quality, but I did notice it seemed like it bounced some. Like it was like yeah. it was a good quick shot because you're like, oh my gosh, that then I was like, how did they do that? But I didn't go back and rewind it and watch it in slow motion or anything. But that that's pretty that's pretty smart. You know, once again, you've got he had a I mean he talked about it, he had a very decent he had a good crew mm-hmm. and a professional crew, so it wasn't like it was him and other classmates Friends of his or, yeah. putting it together. So he's like they, he said the crew was very professional and they knew I was like a new kid and they were all very helpful. So oh, yeah. that really worked to his advantage to have a good crew special effects, uh, you know, uh, makeup, all that kind of stuff, 
to be able to pull that stuff off. So yeah, two more two more things I wanted to say was yeah. uh, when Kenny Kenny's the one who is under the canoe and drowns. Yes. Um, when they so when they find his body, that's clearly a, a porcelain or whatever mm-hmm. uh, fake right. uh, person. But they said the the main reason they even wanted to do that was because they they wanted that uh, snake. snake to come out of his mouth. Yeah. And obviously he wasn't gonna allow them no. to put a real snake in. Yeah. So so they had to make a, a a dummy for that, which I thought was cool. Mm-hmm. And it was it was a cool effect. Oh um, yeah, yeah. And then the other one when uh, Meg, who's found in the shower, when uh, Mel comes across the body, yeah, it's just funny because. Out of nowhere, the body just falls. falls exactly. And yeah. So it's 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 kind of like he just happened to come in at that exact moment. When yeah, it falls. It, and it's kind of like of uh, like Friday the Thirteenth, um, when without spoiling it, when the killer <laughs> kills, it's almost like they would then display the body, and it's like, yeah. why would right. you do that? Right. When did you have time mm-hmm. to hang the body up so mm-hmm. that when someone walks by, it falls or yeah. you know? put it on the back of a door so when they close it there it is yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's it's part of that again like we talked about at the beginning you kind of just have to go with it you mm-hmm. know it's shock value it's entertainment it's that jump scare mm-hmm. um but it's also a mistake and it's <laughs> and it's it's funny so uh so yeah that was yeah that was a because uh, she had obviously been in the, i mean she'd been dead for several hours it seemed like several hours at that point or at least at least about least, a, about least, an hour. At least an hour. Yeah, so, it was yeah, the same night. But for him to walk in, then all of a sudden she just fall flat yeah, out was just, I thought was I thought was interesting. Just good timing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, all right. So box office critical reception. This is interesting because it it really didn't do much in theaters. Uh, it was had a limited regional release on November eighteenth, nineteen eighty three. According to the American Film Institute, it had its premiere in Los Angeles actually the following spring, on May twenty fifth, nineteen eighty four. But it never really ran in the theaters. It really became more of a direct, what we consider now direct to video or direct, you know, on demand, uh, VOD uh, release. So it it kind of got its cult following from just being rented in rental stores. So, oh, yeah. Uh, but as far as critical reception, I think we're all going to agree on this one. Rotten Tomatoes has it at seventy seven percent on the tomato meter with a sixty percent audience score. IMDb gave it a six point three out of ten with a fifty eight on Metacritic. So. Those seem pretty high. Yeah, it's yeah. not. It's not a bad movie. No, it. But it is not a good movie. Yeah. <laughs> so it's inconsistent. Yeah, it has. It has moments of. Yeah. It has moments of excellent filmmaking mm-hmm. ability. Right. The acting is pretty poor. Right. Through most of it, I would say Angela is probably you know Felissa Rose is probably the best of all of them for right. what she had to do. Right. Um, Mel is pretty horrible. Yeah. Ricky's not. Ricky's not Rick, bad. Ricky's not terrible. Once he again, just, he was just screaming the whole right. time. Right, and I think that's more they they wanted somebody that was like that, so that you were kind of playing yourself. Right. Um, just Ricky rage the whole time. Yeah, yeah. Ricky, I'm gonna use that Ricky rage. <laughs> um, and then you know Aunt Martha, which I think is probably the most over the top of all of them. Who knows? And I was she like, could have been crazy. Yeah, in and, real life. Yeah. Well, I was reading because I, I, I one of the reasons I didn't put her on the list was because she didn't have any other 
credits after that, and I and I saw a little blurb right before I finished looking at it, and it said that after she made the movie, she got into real estate and mm. has been in real estate. So she never really went back to acting. So she's popped up on some documentaries about the movie, but she's never really done. She any probably went into real estate because everybody was freaked <laughs> yeah. out and yeah. said, "I don't yeah. want this woman." Are you, wait, near are, are you that lady from that crazy yeah. movie we watched last night? So. Yeah. Surely she didn't. I mean, I'm sure her personality was not like that. So she was probably acting. She was probably in some theater group somewhere. Oh yeah. And and got a little paycheck. So. Oh yeah. But uh, one thing they asked, I, I didn't write this down, but I was thinking about it. They were asking uh, an interview. I did read one full interview with the director. He really didn't. It wasn't as extensive as I was hoping it would be. But he talked about they talked about filming on the camp, and it was a real camp, and it was the camp that he went to as a kid. And they were like, you know. Was it weird for them to have this type of movie be filmed on a camp that was still, unlike other camps that they've used, this one was still in, in use. So it was like a still, uh, but they, they filmed in like uh, late summer, early fall. So they mm. were constantly having to paint the grass green and, you know, paint the leaves to where it didn't look dead. I did notice one thing. It was very strange. In the second flashback mm-hmm. when Aunt Martha is with real Peter mm-hmm. and he's got like the, the bandages all over right, his right. head, you can see her breath. Which I did I, notice which that. Which I thought was very yeah. <laughs> strange, I guess. Because it's they're not in a house. Yeah. There's a little decoration type thing mm-hmm. behind them. Yeah. But everything else is black. Yeah. So it looks like they're outside, but I think they're supposed to be inside. Right, right. But I just thought it was very strange because you could... Her breath was very yeah. obvious. I did. I didn't pick up on that. I forgot about that you said that. So, yeah. So he's so talking about working at the camp, and they and uh, they asked Dredge like, "Well, was it weird for them to for you guys to do this?" He said, "He said really not. He said not really because for them it was just money. Like they, yeah. the the camp wasn't being used as a way to make a little extra money while the camp wasn't being used. So they, he said, they never even read the script, even though we were filming. It was just like, oh, you want to film a movie here for six weeks? Sure, sure give me my check, and I'll stay out of your, you know, just lock up when you're done, you know, kind <laughs> yeah. of a thing. So." Right. So, all right, so let's talk about sequels and reboots. In the late 1980s, Hiltzik sold the rights to the Sleepaway Camp films, after which Michael A. Simpson directed two sequels, Sleepaway Camp 2, Unhappy Campers in 1988, and Sleepaway Camp 3, Teenage Wasteland in 89. So because they're 80s movies, we'll get to them eventually. In them, Angela, who was then played by Bruce Springsteen's younger sister, Pamela Springsteen, resurfaces at a nearby summer camp, but this time masquerading as a counselor after a sex reassignment surgery. I guess we'll find out about that later. Much like the previous camp, she gleefully tortures and kills anyone who misbehaves or annoys her. These films had more of a satirical comic tone than the original. So me and uh, Charlie were kind of talking about that before we started recording. So uh, Another sequel, Sleepaway Camp 4, The Survivor, directed by Jim Markovic, was partially filmed in the early 90s but left incomplete. In 2002, the unfinished footage was released and made available as an exclusive fourth disc in Anchor Bay and Stars Entertainment's Sleepaway Camp DVD boxed set. In 2012, the film was completed using archival footage from the first three films and released on DVD and Amazon Video On Demand. A fifth film, gosh, why do they keep making these? <laughs> Return to Sleepaway Camp was completed in 2003 and initially struggled to have its visual effects completed. It was directed by Robert Hiltzik, the director of the original film. According to Fangoria, the digital effects were redone from 2006 to 2008, and the film was released in 2008. The potentially final film in the Sleepaway Camp series, titled Sleepaway Camp Reunion, was also announced to be in the works. Distribution had been arranged via Magnolia Pictures, and creator Robert Hiltzik, who recovered the rights to the franchise, has stated that he would make the film if his budget was met. 
However, Hiltzikin returned to Sleepaway Camp producer Jeff Hayes later announced themselves as having started work on a reboot that would retain the key characters and elements of the original film with additional storyline elements and a dose of modernizing. As of the summer of 2014, Hiltzik was reportedly tweaking the script. In addition, Michael Simpson, the director of the, the two sequels, wrote a script for a further film called Sleepaway Camp Berserk. And then in one of the interviews when they were talking to him, there was talk, there was talk of doing a prequel to talk about more about Angela and how more of that backstory is like, I don't need any of those. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Getting some more of Aunt Martha could be entertaining. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I've actually seen the second one and I won't spoiler or anything, right. but um, it is very different, mm-hmm. very in a, in a good and bad way. I mean, it's, it's still, a, it's, it's still an eighties slasher. Right. Um, but it, it is, Different, yeah. Um, <laughs> so it, it seems it seems to be more typical of what you would consider a slasher film, right? That, that would, it's even more so, I would say, like a Friday the Thirteenth, right? Um, so, especially a Friday the Thirteenth sequel, you would say, yes, yes, yeah. because um, even the first Friday the Thirteenth is nothing like the sequels, so. right? All twelve of them, yeah. <laughs> um, another and, interesting and thing, <laughs> yes, yes, I'm sure they're. In the works. Mm-hmm. Um, another interesting thing that I just thought was, you know, so I was born in 95, mm-hmm. so I barely remember the 90s, but I do very, I do have some distinct memories of the 90s. Mm-hmm. So I'm a, I'm a, unfortunately, I'm a millennial. And uh, <laughs> so the two, the early 2000s were my childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I remember how people dressed in the early 2000s and even in the 90s. And it was fine, you know, 90s fashion is all that mm-hmm. stuff. 80s was not my thing, and I certainly didn't grow up in the 80s, but looking at some of the clothing they were wearing was ridiculous. Um, some of the clothing was fine. You know, right. Super super short shorts, yeah. fine. Those are coming back. You know, People love that, and it, right. it, it makes sense. You know, They're comfortable, mm-hmm. whatever. But there was one of the counselors. His name is Gino. Mm-hmm. They're getting ready for the baseball game. He's got these jean shorts on that are super short, yeah. and he... <laughs> Himself, he's the the Muscular younger guy. He's the well, th- th- that guy too. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, his his first outfit was ridiculous, <laughs> but uh, but um, yeah, the this Gino was wearing a crop top. Oh and it right, was right, just right. Like, yeah. and, and some of the, was... some of the even camp, the campers are wearing crop tops yeah. throughout the yeah. movie, and it was just very. I had no problem with it. Obviously, that that to me just screams eighties. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely early '80s. But it was very strange. It was very strange to have you know your your athletic guys running around in a crop top. Yeah, and it was just oh okay, that was totally acceptable yeah. back then. And it was just that was just it was just something that that they wore. So yeah, yeah. I the mean, mus- the muscular guy Ronnie, yeah. Ronnie that's yeah, his character yeah. name. Yeah, yeah. He he looked fine after that first outfit, but that first outfit was. <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm trying to remember. I'm going to go back and pull. I'm going to just pull up some pictures and see if I can find it and remember. Yeah. But yeah. But looked, I mean, anything, especially like early '80s. You know, when you talk about the '80s, I know we're totally on a different tangent now. But yeah. in the like early '80s fashion and late '80s fashion are so different mm-hmm. 
and it's in like so I was born in 74 so I remember early 80s but it's you know my memory of late 80s is, is better right so yeah I mean I have pictures of me in like the short like those kind of athletic yeah. short shorts and the socks pulled all the way up to your knees with yeah. the, the different color rings around them you oh, know, yeah. that kind of stuff so uh, I, I did I can honestly say I don't think I ever wore a crop top uh <laughs> Of course, That's I good. of course, I didn't go to summer camp either. So, right. uh, tank tops were, were That's pretty, where you would have gotten that. That's, yeah. yeah. If you went to summer camp, that was it. Yeah. That's where you would have gotten your crop top. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, uh, Charlie, for being a part of this episode. Uh, we actually went longer than I thought we would. So, oh, yeah. we filled in some good time. So, oh, yeah. uh, but thanks for being a part of this one. You got it. Anything you want to add before we close it up? Not really. It's, okay. it's a strange movie, but it, it's it's... Again, I, maybe not recommended. If you want to see this cult classic and be a part of the cult, then... And now, hey. now that we totally spoiled it for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. If you'd like to continue the conversation, we have a few ways for you to do just that. One way is to send us an email to movieviewspodcast at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voice message to the Anchor app. You can find the link to leave a voice message in our episode show notes. If you do leave us a message, we may just use it in an upcoming mini-episode. Another way to reach us is through the new 80s Flick Flashback Podcast Facebook page, as well as our Movie Views Instagram. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, be sure to give us a five-star rating, leave us a stellar written review, and go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you won't miss any of our upcoming episodes. No matter which podcasting platform you're listening to us on, be sure to read the episode show notes to find more fun facts and behind-the-scenes trivia we just weren't able to fit into this episode. That's all for now. Join us again next time for another 80s Flick Flashback. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.